It's your first day as charge nurse. One of your teammates comes and grabs you and says, uh, can you come look at my patient? They're not breathing very well. So you rush in the room and you find the patient agonal breathing. You know that's not good. So you check a pulse and there's no pulse. So now what do you do? I mean, obviously call a code blue, start compressions, but then what? You're the leader and everyone's looking to you to know what to do next. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. Every couple episodes, I try to do a Q&A episode to answer some of the questions I get from you, my listeners. And when a question seems to be coming up frequently, then I bump it to the top of the queue for podcast episode topics. I try to make my podcast relevant to all types of nurses. So if you read the title and said, "Um, I'm kind of new to nursing, I'm not a leader yet. Well, this podcast episode is still for you. One day, you will be leading. And my hope is that you can whip out these strategies to help you rise up and lead your team well to promote the best outcome for your patient. I'm not sure what it is, but in the past few weeks, I've had a lot of nurses reach out about wanting to be better leaders during resuscitation or just when a patient's crashing and fast and rapid coordinated effort is necessary. I love this topic, but to be honest, Trying to answer questions like this one really make the imposter syndrome that I'm constantly going head to head with rise up and try to take a seat at the table. And while generally speaking, I would say that I'm a good leader in code situations, I have definitely had codes where I was not in control of myself, let alone the room. Times when I didn't know what to do or couldn't anticipate what was coming next. I too have had times when I was disappointed in myself or in my team and struggled to look past that to do what was needed to be done for the patient. I've not always been as confident when I was approaching a crashing patient, but I sure am better at this whole team resuscitation thing today than I was when I started 20 years ago. So what I'm about to share with you are techniques that I have seen work well. It's not that I've always done these or that I always will. I'm human too. But this is what I strive to do. And on my better days, when I'm at my sharpest, these strategies have served both me and my team very well. So let's dive in. Let me set the scene for you. It's your first day as charge nurse. One of your teammates comes and gets you and says, can you look at my patient? He's breathing weird. So you head towards the patient's room with haste and find the patient agonal breathing. Now your heart is racing. You know that's a bad sign. You immediately check for a pulse and discover there's no pulse. Now what? 
you know how to do CPR, but there's a lot more that needs to happen. How do you choose what you do first, let alone lead the rest of your team into a coordinated effort to save this patient? Let's talk about it. So for starters, as the leader, the last thing you should be doing is CPR. You may start compressions initially, but you cannot lead anything while doing high quality CPR. That is a skill that is easily delegated. So don't assume that role unless there's no one else there yet. I like to teach the rescuer one, two, and three method. So rescuer one is the first person that finds the patient unresponsive and pulseless. That person, their job is to call a code blue, whatever that process is for your hospital, pull the lever, press the button, something, and start CPR, like start compressions. All right, second rescuer, that's the second person that walks in the room. That person's job is airway. So get the BVM, the bag valve mask, take it out of the bag, put it together, attach it to oxygen, and start breathing for that patient. All right, so first person, compressions. Second person, airway. Third person, well, their job is to get the crash card in there. They need to get the backboard underneath the patient to ensure high-quality CPR. They're going to get the pads off the crash carpet, the pads on the patient, hook it up to the defibrillator. And now by that time, the compressor is probably tired and it's time to swap. So that third rescuer is going to swap with the first person new compressions. So those three roles are really, really important. Everything else can be assigned after those three important roles are already being done effectively. So the things to be done are like medication administration, documentation, someone needs to be a runner, someone's got to get suction set up, someone needs to be with the family, etc. So as a team leader, you can serve your team best by taking a bird's eye view and not getting sucked in initially into one task. Start delegating to ensure that all the important roles have been taken, that every code role is filled. Because if you just get sucked into one thing and something very important is not being done because you're not paying attention, well, that's not what's best for your team. So if you're wondering, what are the other roles? If you'd like, you can check out episode 21 of the podcast. I go in depth into all those different roles in a code. All right. Once you ensure that everything else is being addressed, then you can take on a role yourself, whatever seems appropriate at the moment. Next thing I want to talk about is modeling closed loop communication, both in what you say, but also when you give a message, waiting for a response from the receiver. So you know for yourself that the message you gave, like that it was received the way you intended it. So for those of you that don't know, closed loop communication is whenever you say something, give a request or a command or an order or whatever, when you say it out loud, the person who is aimed towards should close the loop by repeating it back to you. So a message goes out, once it's received, then the receiver restates it again so you know it was communicated effectively. So it looks super cheesy, but it's so life-saving. So let's say um, I'm giving meds and David is documenting. I would say, David, I'm giving one milligram of epinephrine. And David says, epi, got it. Or I'll be like, Alicia, can you grab us some more flushes? And Alicia says, I'll get some flushes. Again, super cheesy. But what happens when we don't use closed loop communication is I'm like, can somebody get us some flushes? And then either like seven people say, oh my God, I'll get flushes. And then I have like bundles and bundles of flushes I don't need. Or everyone just assumes that someone else is doing it. And then I never get the flushes that I need. So saying to a specific person and then them closing the loop guarantees that what is needed to be done actually gets done. Another important thing you can do that doubles as making the code run smoother and also keeping everyone focused and moving in the right direction, while also simultaneously teaching critical thinking, is to think out loud. So 
For example, let's say um, I walk into the code situation and I say, okay, so we've got Chris on compressions and Jana's on airway. I'm going to have Monique be the second compressor. So John, can you please grab the stool from Monique so she can be ready to jump in when it's time to swap compressors? So I basically just set the stage for the whole room, who's doing what role, making it very clear. what I, I'm thinking this in my head, okay, who's doing what? But I say it out loud so it's very clear for everyone in the room and they can anticipate what's going to happen next. Uh, another example would be, all right, guys, once we get the pads on the patient, if this is a shock rhythm, we're going to go ahead and defibrillate at 200 joules. Or, all right, guys, so we found this patient unresponsive. We've already ruled out hypoglycemia because the blood glucose is 120. We have no reason to suspect overdose or trauma or electrolyte abnormalities. All those labs were normal this morning. The patient was admitted for COPD exacerbation and pneumonia. So this could be hypoxia or even a PE. Does anyone else have anything to add to this that will help us if you try to figure out what's happening? So it takes a little extra time to think out loud and share your thoughts, but it keeps everyone focused and allows them a little insight into how you think through high-stress situations. I do this at rapid responses too. Like even when the patient's not coding, I'll say things like, okay, so the patient's unresponsive. My first concern with unresponsiveness is do they have a pulse or not? And, and this patient does. So my next concern is, can they protect their airway? So let's go see if they have a gag or cough response. The other thing I want to rule out is, are they hypoglycemic or hypotensive? Could they be having a seizure or a medication reaction? So I could just walk into the patient and start gathering information myself. But by thinking out loud, I let everyone else into my critical thinking process so the next time they will think of the same things. You know, the more I've done this, the more nurses will start spouting out to me, like before I can even ask all the things that I would have asked for. And they tell me what they've assessed for, what they've already ruled out for me. It's pretty awesome. So let me review really quick what I've covered so far. I talked about uh, taking a bird's eye view to ensure that all the rules are delegated out before jumping into a single task myself. I talked about modeling closed loop communication, how valuable it is. And then also, as you are processing yourself, think out loud what you are assessing, what you're considering, what you're anticipating, so everyone's on the same page and also so people can learn from you. The other thing I like to keep in mind is that kudos go a long way. Like, just because someone is dying doesn't mean we have to start yelling at each other like we're on a battlefield or something. It's still appropriate to say please or thank you or great job or strong work <laughs> to your colleagues. So for example, can you please hand me the section? or thanks for jumping right in and do CPR, or strong work at that IV, or great compressions. You know, we all perform best when we know that what we are doing is appreciated and noticed. Anytime someone says, great compression, Sarah, y'all, my compressions get even better. <laughs> I'll be feeling so tired and sweaty and ready to tap out, but when someone drops a good compressions comment, I instantly get a second win. It's amazing. And, and I know it's silly, but that's just how we operate as humans. Praise is a great motivator, and you're lying if you say it's not. Anyways, as a leader, your kudos mean even more, so give them out generously, even in a co-situation. And on that note, don't neglect the debrief. You know, everyone's like, done, I want to get back to work, but taking time to do a debrief afterwards is so, so valuable. So when the code's going on, pay attention to what's going well in the code and what also could be improved. When everything's done, the debrief is a priority. This is how you grow as a team, both clinically and how you bond together to be even more cohesive next time. So I always stop my debriefs with what went well. 
I allow people time to share kudos and then open up to the room to share any areas where it maybe could have been approved upon. Don't call people out like, well, Susan sucks at CPR, but frame everything as an opportunity that the whole group can address. So like, so it looks like the compressors were getting tired. Let's make sure to rotate compressors more frequently next time. Or guys, where do we keep the stool? Let, let's make sure we always have that in the same place, the same location, so we aren't scrambling to find it for the next code. So when all the opportunities for improvement are shared, always end with gratitude. Thank you everyone for your valuable contribution and even point specific people out and thank them. This goes a long way. The other thing I do as a leader is, if we were unsuccessful in resuscitating the patient, after we call time of death, I lead everyone in a moment of silence. At my facility, we call it a moment of honor and it goes something like this. Hey everybody, before we step away, can we just take a moment to honor this patient? So we honor Mr. Jones, we honor the life that he lived and the people he loved and the people that loved him. And we also honor the work that we did here today as a team. Let's just take a moment of silence just to, to honor this patient. And just take a moment and people have a chance to close their eyes to reflect or keep them open and look around, whatever is most helpful to them. But I think that this is the most compassionate way to end an unsuccessful code, not just for the patient, but mostly for the staff. It reminds us all of the humanity behind the work that we do. Like this wasn't just a machine we couldn't fix. This was a human soul that we got to spend their last moments of life with. Often there are tears from the moment of honor, but that's not something that deters me from doing it again. I think that by facing the difficult emotions, by feeling all the feels, even when it's hard, that's how we can process the challenges we face as healthcare providers. When we just switch gear doctor code and move on to the next task, really we're neglecting our own mental health and the opportunity to care for each other after such an emotionally charged, intense, shared experience. So even though we're all busy, taking the time to pause is worth it to help us process the hard stuff together. Another important thing that I wanted to share is that for those of you who've been listening to my podcast for a while, you've probably heard me say this before, but your sympathetic nervous system is your friend in emergencies. So when you feel that dump of epinephrine or norepinephrine hit your system and your heart starts to race and your hands get shaky and you feel like you just can't catch your breath, ride that way, baby. That is your body gearing up to help you be the strongest, sharpest self. That dump of hormones gives you the strength to get a patient up off the ground and the endurance to complete a full two minutes of CPR and the mental sharpness to notice the acute changes in your patient. This automatic response is designed to optimize your body for action, enhancing physical strength and mental focus and overall performance. Sympathetic nervous system activation is often referred to as fight, flight, or freeze, as these are the three primary ways we instinctively respond to perceived threats. I am well acquainted with the surge of hormones in response to an emergency and how paralyzing it can feel. I too get shaky and feel my heart is gonna beat out of my chest and have to really take control of my breathing. But I've learned to channel my sympathetic nervous system to help me optimize my performance as a nurse. Instead of perceiving the physical manifestations of stress as hindrances, I've learned to reframe them as signs that my body is preparing me for peak performance. 
I embrace the increased heart rate, the rapid breathing, and heightened senses as indicators that I'm ready to act and make a difference. Now when I feel my heart racing and see my hand shaking, I tell myself, it's go time. Your body is giving you an extra boost it needs to respond to your patient with even greater strength, speed, and accuracy. So if you find yourself a little shaky at your next code, it's not because there's something wrong with you or because you can't do it. Instead, it's your body helping you do it even better. The last thing is leadership is not a title. Leadership is influence. Everyone is a leader in some capacity. So just because your badge doesn't say charge nurse or manager or code team or whatever official leadership title you think you need to lead well, you, all of you, are leaders to someone. You don't need the title to influence the people around you to do what's best for the patient. What your badge said is not what gives you the knowledge to know what to do in an emergency. Take a minute to consider how you have influence in your unit, either with your fellow nurses, with the nurse techs, nursing students, with the patients, with the family. You need leadership skills to guide your interactions with all these people. So don't take it lightly. What you do matters. So I know I usually share more patho-heavy content because I'm a nerd and I love it. And I know that the more we understand about what's happening with our patients, the better we can provide care to them. But I also recognize the value in some of these softer skills that I cover today and know that the more we are aware of our influence and that we have some tools in our tool belt for how to promote closed loop communication or critically thinking out loud or how to lead a debrief, how to manage ourselves when tensions are high, all of those skills lead to better patient outcomes too. So let me know what you think. Was this helpful? Do you like this type of content that focuses more on the art of nursing and not just the science? If so, drop me a DM on Instagram. I read and respond to every one of them. I look forward to hearing from you.